Today's scripture is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of God. Thank you, TJ. Um, Man, I'm I'm just grateful for, um, I love Jason's voice and love just the the people that the Lord has formed together. But man, when Amanda started that song, I was like, I think I could just listen to this all day. And, and uh, her using her gifts and saying things that are so true and so powerful, you know, and I, I, I want that to not just be, man, it's, I, I, I mean, I could say, I wish I could have Amanda's voice. That would sound weird. But, uh, um, you know, I, I wish I was gifted in that way or whatever it may be. But the reality is that we are all gifted in supernatural ways. Like that is what the Holy Spirit does when we come to Jesus is there are many things that happen, um, many, many things that happen. But one of the things that happens is we are gifted in ways for the church. And when the church comes together on a Sunday or through the week in different ways and different forms, there are giftings that you have, that I have, that Amanda has, that Jason has, that Bryce has, and Phil has. Like, go down the list. There are giftings that people have that when your gifts are kind of on the floor, so to speak, not being used, the church is missing something. And the church is not all that we're called to be. And, um, and none of that is like shame or any, but I was just as... as um, Amanda was leading that song, and I was just like, man, she is boldly uh, using giftings that she has for the good of us. And, uh, and just a hope, like, Lord, would that invite all of us to take a step closer, to take a risk, to, to, to maybe try things and say, man, my heart's always yearning over here, and to go over there and see, see what the Lord does. And what's great is that the church helps to confirm the gifts of the church. And so the church can be like, man, you might not think this, but when you do this, my heart is stirred inside of me. And you can be like, what? That's easy. It's like, well, it's easy for you. (laughs) It's not easy for other people. It's easy for you because it comes natural because that's how you're gifted and different things like that. And so, so anyway, just, uh, I wasn't planning on saying that, but just, uh, um, man, if that strikes you, maybe don't let it just go by the wayside, but, but take a step closer um, because we need you to take a step closer. Um, we're uh, a quick family update for, for me. Um, Patty, my wife, has been on this crazy journey of chronic pain um, that has been really intense the last 10 months or so. I think she's been to church about four times since January. And so we have been raising funds for her to go to a place in Arkansas that seems like really made for her and Lord willing for her healing. And um, we had 102 people give towards that so far, which has been so humbling. And so we're, we're leaving tomorrow to drive to Fayetteville while our three kids are on the mission trip. And so just really appreciate your prayers for that. Um, exciting thing, Josh Caldwell, uh, one of our own members here, will be preaching next Sunday. So I'm excited for Josh to be his first. He 
has been a lead pastor, has preached many times, but this is his first time preaching at Sacred Mission, so I'm really excited for that. Uh, then um, JJ Side will be preaching in two Sundays. He's a pastor at our Sending Church in Oklahoma. He was here over our, for our membership meeting, if some of you guys got to know him, but just lo- he's his family are all from Iowa, and, and he really loves being here. So, um, so I think both of those Sundays will be such a blessing. Uh, then I would encourage you to, to be here for those, but then that following Sunday, August 14th, we will be sending Madison. So we're not believing that Madison is just quitting or like we're like, well, good riddance to you. You know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. But we're believing God is calling. We're all on the same team. God shuffles the deck sometimes, and we believe he's calling her on mission to Oklahoma. That's the way she's going, and she has the full support of our church to go there as well. So we want that to be a sending Sunday for her as well. Um, so I, I'd love for us to encourage her that way too. So as TJ read Psalm 23, um, I'm, I'm excited to step into this, this chapter, this, this poem that's what the Psalms are. They're poetry. God designed genres of literature. And one that, you know, you can have the most reserved person when they're in the car by themselves and their favorite song comes on, you're like, whoa, like you're belting this out or you're singing like you are. There's something coming from deep inside of you that I don't always see on the surface. And that is a genre of literature music, poems that kind of like connected to the soul in one sense. Like, you know, you can, we, we can read Paul's letters and it's kind of an intellectual, it, it stirs our hearts too, but they're informative for the building of the church and for how we should walk with Jesus. The Psalms are just like, let's just connect to your soul and let's go, you know, and, and the whole heights and lows of human experience we see in the, the 150 Psalms. Psalm 23, very likely, is maybe the most work of genius, most amazing poem written by any human. I mean, it'd be hard to argue for another work of poetry that has meant more to more people, stirred the heart of more people than Psalm 23, potentially, um, and co-authored by God, which is, is helpful to uh, if you're trying to write something that's amazing. Um, so to get to Psalm 23, we got to go through Psalm 22. Psalm 22, you know, sometimes when like there's the famous one, like the people next to them kind of get lost in the, the shadow. And that can happen in the Bible too. Like not very many people remember like John 317. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, there is a 317. I just knew 316, you know. Well, Psalm 23, there's a 22 and a 24. 22 is known as the crucifixion psalm. That's where Jesus quotes Psalm 22 in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's, it's interesting, and many uh, readers of the Word of God have noted that uh, Psalm 22 makes it possible for us to have Psalm 23 as a part of our human experience. If Psalm 22 didn't happen, if the cross didn't happen, if Jesus wasn't forsaken on the cross, taking on the sin of the world, we could not even dream to have the relationship that Psalm 23 speaks of. And you're like, well, that's all in the Old Testament, right? Yes, but he knows the end from the beginning. 
And even as these things are being written, he is very aware of how he's going to bring these things about. And so God's loving heart towards us is seen most in what Psalm 22 is leading us into than the relationship we have with him from Psalm 23 is possible. So let's just jump in. Verse 1, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We don't usually do this, but can we just say that together out loud? Is that okay? All right. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we could, we could say it again and just emphasize different words. We could say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We could say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you're like, Tim, you're, you're, losing, you're losing it here, you know. But just these nine words, we could preach a whole series on just these nine words. Who writes them? The king of Israel, David. The, the person who will go down in history as the greatest king in the hundreds of years of Israel's history, the king who would go down as the greatest king, David, is writing this. David is known for many things. People nickname him the warrior poet. The you know, king, not the king of all kings. David will say, there's a king coming who I will bow down to. But David is known for many things. There's even songs that are sung in the Old Testament by enemies of Israel where the lyrics of the song talk about how David personally in war, in battle, has killed over 10,000 men. So, like, David would be beyond, like, the commander of SEAL Team 6. He'd be way beyond that. He's a true warrior. He easily could have been the most proud person the world had ever seen. You know, like, there's a swagger, you know, like, my... my sister is married to uh, um, uh, special forces, you know, I, like I've been around that a little bit and just know like it takes a lot of confidence to go up to 10,000 people in battle. You know, you don't just like, well, you know, well, you know like, you, you, there's got to be some confidence to step into that. And David could have this confidence that is just seething with pride and arrogance. But David met someone who humbled him greatly. David, he would say, hey, I've met over 10,000 Philistines. Bow down to none of them. He met someone who humbled him. Meeting the Lord humbles a person. Meeting the Lord humbles a person. David hadn't just, it wasn't just this like American Christianity, like country music Christian where it's like, well, we're all Americans. So, you know, the Lord is all of our, you know, like he, he, he leads all of us, you know, we're, we're all of all of us, you know, we're, we're all kind of, he's, David was able to say, I've met him. The Lord is my shepherd. 
the greatest king of Israel is letting people know that there is one who is far greatest, is far greater. The greatest king of Israel is letting you know he considers himself a domesticated animal. Like, you, you know, the, like in Oklahoma, when I lived there, there were wild boar all over the place. They would, they would like eat up an entire field in a night, you know, of people that had planted corn and then all the corn was eaten out of the ground in one night. Like there's wild boar all over the place. So if you see like a pig, it's like, man, that thing could go wild. I've never heard, you know, Mark or others might correct me. I've never heard of like, like a sheep go wild and take over and conquer and lands and all that stuff, right? When you meet a sheep, you're meeting a domesticated animal, and, uh, you know, I think that there are probably many CEOs of companies that when you say, hey, what type of an animal would you be if you were an animal? You know, what's your spirit animal or whatever it may be? You'd probably hear a lot of lions. Oh, I'm, I sit in my CEO chair and I'm a lion or I'm a tiger or I'm a bull, you know, or whatever it may be. You probably wouldn't hear of a domesticated animal. But here we have, when the Lord becomes my Lord, a wild whatever. Fill in the blank of whatever your story is. When the Lord becomes my Lord, a wild whatever is domesticated. And that does not make it less. It makes it more. It makes us more of who we are designed to be following the lion of the tribe of Judah. Nothing is more wild than bowing our knee to the only one we should ever bow our knee to. The only thing we should ever bow our knee to. So for David to start one of the most well-known poems, for the king of Israel, the warrior of all warriors, to say, the Lord is my shepherd, is an incredible statement. And would it be the statement for every one of us? For everyone in this church, would it be the statement of everyone in our community? You know, I'm excited that we have, um, on the mission trip, we have, I think, students from Collins Maxwell, Baxter, Colonesco, West Marshall uh, that are going, and, and for them to be able to Maybe say for the first time, the Lord is my shepherd. Man, like that is a light in a school district, a light among friends, a light on a team. And on top of all of that, the question is, what type of a God allows himself to be spoken of as a shepherd? You look at, uh, man, like there is no other view of reality. There's no other belief system. In Islam, there is no one, no thing that you would dare speak of God in such a close way that would see, be seen as, as just being ridiculous. How dare you say, Allah is my shepherd? He's not that close. You don't deserve a God to be that close. Buddhism, nothing like that. Hinduism, nothing like that. There is no view of reality where anyone would say, the Lord is my shepherd, other than who I believe is the only God, and this is how he presents himself to be. 
this is how he allows himself to be spoken of, is in this way of saying, yes, these domesticated sheep are owned by someone. They're carefully cared for by someone. Sometimes a shepherd will not be the owner. And, you know, some guys who, Jason and Mark, who, who are, are in this profession and are very familiar, you know, you could have a hired hand watch out for sheep. But when the shepherd is also the owner, there's a level of committed care that a hired hand just can't feel that deeply and can't respond that passionately. So what David writes is, when the Lord, the owner, is our shepherd, we shall not want. What we need in this life, as only he knows, we have. It, it made me think this week about, you know, the gravel road that, that I, I live on, uh, on the, the north side of the gravel road is pasture land that Jim Novinger owns. And Jim... I think Jim, when I observe him, is an excellent shepherd of his cattle. And I have never seen his cattle look like they're in need, look like sickly. And if I do see his cattle um, out, and I've called him a couple times, um, he's always like, hey, I'm on it, we're going right now. If I, I would ever see his cattle being sick, I know that Jim would be more aware of it than anyone else. I would not be informing him of, hey, I just saw this cow, it looks a little ill. He's like, number one, you don't know what you're talking about, I could tell. You know, I mean, Jim's nice, but like, I would just know by talking to him, he's already got it, he's already on top of it, and he is probably, he is on it in helping them be healthy as much as is possible. Jim's cattle do not want. When the Lord is my shepherd, we might not have all that we desire. We might still have a wish list somewhere, but we have what we need. We shall not want. And we see this nothing in verse 2. Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Just picture, uh, picture sheep and the shepherd having them lay down in green pastures, overflowing with green. Like we experienced that in Iowa, when it, especially with good rain, is that, uh, man, to, to lay down, to rest, to lay down with green pastures all around, surrounded by what you need. It made me think of a cruise ship. You know, it's like a self-contained, it's like probably there are cruises out there where, where you don't even have to move to eat. It's like, you know, like, I mean, it's just like, like, you, you don't have to work very hard if you're on a cruise ship to eat and drink. You know, you're not drinking out of this, like, really scary rapids, still waters. It's abundantly green. And remember, this is poetry. This speaks figuratively. And we're going to see. It's like, well, gosh, am I living on a cruise ship? Are we all living on a cruise ship? Is this all just like shiny, happy people? 
Is this cruise ship life? We're going to see a lot of verses to come or verses to come that make it very clear this is not the reality of the human experience. But what do we need? What do you really need? And I, I think Patty and I, in the season that we've been in, which is, we would both say is the hardest season of our lives, um, what I need is I need his word. Like, I need his word. I need to open this every morning and just figure out which way is north. Figure out, hey, how do I think of me? How do I think of what's going on? How do we, how do we move forward? How do we wait? How do we go? Like, I, I have to have this. If I don't have this, I'm trying to contact the manager and figure out, like, how do I get this? I need his word. I need his church. I have to have his people. I, I am a part of the church, and I need his church. I can't pretend, we can't pretend to do this apart from us. I need his presence. Have to have his presence. If he's like, I'm going on, if Jesus is like, I'm going on vacation for two weeks, I'm going to be like, can I go with you? If I don't have you, I don't have Tuesday. I don't have Wednesday. I, I, I shall not want, and what I need are these things. And what it means for us to lie down in green pastures, to be led beside still waters, is what we need, we don't need to climb Mount Everest to get. Now, he's going to call us to work. He's going to call us to go. He's going to send us. It's going to be work. But he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And as that would be a comfort to a shepherd leading sheep, it should be a comfort to our souls in him renewing us. His word is close to us. His presence comforts us. His power is accessible. His church is a still water. His provision, protection, presence meets us in a way that lying down in green pastures explains verse 3. He restores my soul. This is all soul restoration work. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So throughout our lives, the shepherd cares about our souls. The the deepest part of who we are, our soul is being restored. This presupposes, too, that we continually need our souls to be restored. Life will happen in a way that we come to the green pastures that are prevalent around us for restoration. The shepherd will do that. He leads us in paths of righteousness, right paths. So when we look to him, when we follow him, the path is right. This is good for us. It is good for us, but he is not, this is what's crazy. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's good for us, but he's not doing it for our good. Get that? I mean, it's, we wouldn't think this way unless he wrote it. This is good for us, and he's not doing it for our good. He is doing it for himself. He's doing it for his name's sake. You say, well, that seems pretty selfish. 
for a God to do things in my life for him and not for me. It would be totally selfish if I was God. <laughs> because I am sinful. I am selfish. I, I could keep going on. I'm sure you'd love for me to continue <laughs> letting uh, everything out, which I don't need to hide anything because he knows it all and the way he treats me, the way he treats us. But what he's letting us know is when he does stuff in our life for him, it restores our soul. When we do stuff in our life for us, like, hey, at the end of the day, what is the end result of everything you're doing right now? Well, my personal happiness. Man, there have been movements in church history. I won't go down the road of that, but there have been movements in church history that are like, the church exists for my personal happiness. This is why... Um, 80% of the churches during World War II in Germany followed Hitler instead of following Jesus because they had gone to believe theologically that the church exists for their happiness. It's known as theological liberalism, um, not politicalism, but theological liberalism. Because what happens is if the church exists for your happiness, if you follow that all the way out, you'd be willing to kill people to stay happy if that's your end result. I exist for my happiness. Well, what if these six people are threatening your happiness? Well, they got to go. So, but what is so freeing is when God is doing stuff for him, for his sake, that restores our soul. And that when he leads us in a path saying, hey, if you want to follow me, follow me down this path. And you're like, well, that looks like a hard, dangerous, scary path. If it's like, God, is that the right path? Yeah, that's the right path for me. And this will bring you glory? Yes. And it'll be for my good? Yes. All right, here we go. <laughs> Give me the strength to do it. And that is verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You might think, like, man, where did the green pasture go? Here we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Where did the green pasture go? Why is there both the green pasture and the valley of the shadow of death? And I think this is where we even get comfort in the trustworthiness of the Word of God. Is life good? Is there a lot to celebrate? Is there a lot of good things in this life? being a church and following him and seeing people come to Jesus and stuff, is that, is that good? I'd be like, yeah, man, that's amazing. Also, does it feel sometimes a little bit more like hell than heaven in life? Sometimes you're like, man, if this is heaven, I, this is going to be a poor heaven. But this sometimes feels a little bit closer to hell than heaven. And the Hebrew translated here, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, could also be translated, even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness. Even in the darkest times of our lives, and yes, there is a sense with his word, with his people, with his presence, that we are always, we always are he never lays us down in a place where we can't get the nutrients that we need to do the things that he's calling us to do. And there are times that we are in the darkest 
times of our lives and look what comforts us. You, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let me say the beginning of that too. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So what David is saying, what we can say is even if this is the lowest point of my life, the reason I am comforted is because of his presence. Full stop. Now, once again, the way people have coped with the darkest times, even Christians. So there was a movement that was called Stoicism. Stoics. You know, we kind of picked that up. Someone was like, oh man, you're being really stoic. What the Stoics were known for was they had become so, this was their perspective, they had become so mature as Christians and were so swept up in heaven that even if you come up to them and say, hey, you have stage four cancer, they'd be like, what did you say it was lunchtime? You know, they were known for like, they had grown past emotional connection with hard times. They went stoic. And a lot of people, wow, one day I hope to reach such a level of disconnection from my emotions because I am so swept up in the victorious Christian life. Now, a challenge is that Jesus was okay with weeping, even over Lazarus when he knew Lazarus was moments away from him, raising him from the dead. So Stoicism overall has been flatly rejected, saying when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you are there. And what comforts you is not a disconnection from any emotion that you're in the valley of the shadow of death. What comforts you is his presence. It's like, I am freaked out here. This is terrible. I've never been in such a bad place. Thank you for being here. We're walking this together. Because he could easily just be like, whoop, pulled you out of the valley. He's like, no, you're going to be in the valley, and I'm going to be with you. Buddhism, for instance, Buddhism, if someone comes up to you as a Buddhist, and man, I'm not, I, I just believe Buddhism is a view of reality that has some really amazing things that are disconnected from God's revelation to us. And I believe that Jesus is the people of Buddhism are searching for Jesus as well. And what a Buddhist believes is that the best you can ever be is so selfless that you cease to even know that you're a person. So what nirvana is, is, is growing to the place where you don't even realize you exist anymore. And what their goal is one day, and the way that it's... it's um, communicated is that what will happen one day is you will be like a drop of salt into the ocean and you will dissolve and we will all be that together. And so if you ask a Buddhist like, hey, are you looking forward to the future? They'd be like, I hope not because I hope I stop being a you. I hope I stop even thinking about me because if I'm still thinking about me, I'm selfish. And so if you go up to a Buddhist and say you have stage four cancer, the most mature Buddhist would be like, who? And if you weep over having stage four cancer, they would say you're being selfish and you need to grow 
because you want to live too bad. So Buddhism and Hinduism all have that type of Eastern thinking. And we have, I have dear friends. Okay. Oh, am I back? Okay. I need to gesture less. But um, I have dear friends that love dearly. This is not an attack on any people, but love dearly Buddhists and are seeking to share with them, no, God actually likes you as a person. Wants you as a person. He doesn't want you to stop existing. He wants you to exist forever as you are designed to be. He loves you. He came for you. David could say, the Lord is my shepherd. He knows me. He loves me. And what comforts him in the darkest, hardest times is the presence of God. And even in the deepest, darkest times, he's caring for us. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So the shepherding imagery, if you're kind of trying to track that, the shepherding imagery has ended at the end of verse 4 because sheep aren't sitting around a table dining together. But what he is saying here is, even if you have enemies all around you, and David was at times like that, having just enemies all around him. I just picture God with like the, the towel draped over his arm, you know, table for one. Right here, sir, please. And, you know, in the presence of my enemies, he's preparing it to, hey, I've got a, I've got a spread out for you here. I've got a, got a table for you. Please have a seat. Like that is how David is picturing in the darkest valley. He could drive the enemies away. He doesn't, though, keep enemies from us. With those enemies around us, he is taking care of us. And you can say, well, what? Is this talking about Satan? Is this talking about demons? Is this talking about sin? Is this talking about brokenness? I think it's just best to say anything that feels like an enemy. He is not freaked out. He's not like, whoa, this is scary. I've never been in a situation like this before. I just, I'm as freaked as you are. He's not, he's just like, table for one or table for two. Let's have a seat. I've got a spread ready for you. I would say, what does it mean for anything that is not right and not good, he fights against. He is not freaked out. He is nourishing us. He's feeding us. He's hosting us. He's serving us. It says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, David was seen, the way that people knew that God had chosen David to be the king over Saul was, was that Samuel had anointed his head with oil. And so that we do that sometimes as we're praying for healing for somebody for, for it to show the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God over somebody. But what I love is that he is not just like keeping us alive. He's not just like someone on the face of battle just running around giving wounds. He's preparing a table before us, but he is also anointing us into our calling so that we aren't just curled up in a ball in the corner, just hoping and waiting for heaven. But instead, he is giving us the sign of his presence, the sign of his calling on our lives, setting us apart for his purposes. 
When the Lord is our shepherd, he has a calling on us. He knows where he's leading us. He knows how he's using this. And what David says is, my cup overflows. And it, I don't think it takes someone who has a PhD in poetry. I mean, if you're around grandkids or something and they're like, hey, are you having a good day? And if you say, my cup overflows, it's like, whoa, this, this is like, they spoke from the depth of their soul about how refreshing and content they are to be here. You know, my, my cup is overflowing. So as he anoints us, as our cup is overflowing with this type of a relationship, a huge place he's leading us, we see verse 6, the last verse of the psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What does this look like, goodness and mercy? Uh, one commentator said, mercy is the covenant word rendered steadfast love. Together with goodness, it suggests the steady kindness and support that one can count on in the family or between good friends. With God, these qualities are not merely solid and dependable, but vigorous. For to follow does not mean here to bring up the rear, but to pursue as surely as his judgments pursue the wicked. So as, as we, as we are, are walking with him next to us, we can also see that goodness and mercy are, are pursuing us. He's not second-guessing us. He doesn't look at us with skeptical eyes, being like, well, I know you came to me, but let's see if you screw up or not, or whatever it may be. Um, but goodness is pursuing us. You know, it's like if we stop, we'd be like, goodness and mercy are like, are, are hitting us when we stop. Like, that's how vigorously goodness and mercy are pursuing us. All of his shepherding has a destination. All of life has a destination. To dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, Patty and I went on a walk this week, and she's like, man, it's, at times it just feels like Satan has his foot on my neck. And we were able to be like, it does. And these things are, you know, we talked through Psalm 23 and been like, man, we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And if, like, you're a mathematician or something, you're like, well, technically we're not there right now, and so if it's forever, it'd be forever minus right now, Right? Because, you know, it's like, that's not forever. Forever, we'd be there already, right? Like, if I was like, we're going to be at Disneyland forever. It'd be like, well, we're not there right now. So there's kind of, like, that is how much we will be in the presence of the Lord, that we will be able to come and say, man, I've been here forever. In the house of the Lord. Um, where he is leading us, if we resist the good shepherd, if we resist Jesus, if we resist Jesus' payment, for our sin. If you resist him, you will dwell outside the presence of the Lord forever. And you could say, well, that's mean. It's not mean when he says, I invite you right now. Make the Lord your shepherd. Respond to his care. Respond to him saying, you are my shepherd. I give my life to you. What you did on the cross paying for my sin, I accept. I give my life to you. The Lord is my shepherd. 
It doesn't need to be more complicated than that. He did all the complicated work so that we could freely enter his presence. So a big question for us this morning as we, as we move towards communion, communing with him, is just, is the Lord my shepherd? Can you say as confidently as David said, the Lord is my shepherd? And if not, the question just be, why not? If not, why not? And you're like, well, I have some questions. Please ask them. Is this psalm your psalm? It's a good question too. Like, I, I would encourage us, spend the week, go back into the psalm before you go to bed tonight, re-enter into the psalm and say, is this psalm my psalm? If I was gifted in the way David was gifted, could I write every word here? And if you say, well, no way, I would ask you, would you like it to be? Would you like this psalm to be your psalm? What parts of this psalm are like flashing at you? Maybe a, what's a flashing red, like green light saying, man, keep going, man, keep going. You are going and keep going. What are the, the yellow where it's like, he's laying you beside green like, pastures, but you're not eating. Or like you're the sheep like on the fence trying to get out. Like, Lord, why am I doing that? Show that to me. Like, what's flashing red that's like, stop here, do not move on until this part, the shepherd works and is able to move in you. Maybe ask, where am I resisting the shepherd? Where am I embracing the shepherd? And where am I looking to the shepherd? Saying like, I, I want this to be true of me. We should never leave with guilt. We should always leave at the most. If the Lord is convicting us of something, we should leave with sorrow we're going to leave with something where it's like because sorrow can make you repent sorrow can make you ask for forgiveness sorrow can make you move forward as the shepherd is leading you shame makes you hide separate withdraw push people away let there be rejoicing let there be sorrow let there be transformation let the lord be your shepherd lord we we pray this right now we ask you would, would we each be able to write the psalm? It is beautiful. It's amazing that this is how you treat us, even in the darkest valleys, that you are with us. Maybe right now you need to be, you are going to be shepherding one of us to let us know even there that was true. Even now this is true. Even here would you trust me? Lord, I pray this psalm would be our psalm. It would speak of our experience with you. It would speak with our heart. If we walked in and we knew that we have been keeping you at arm's length, just kind of feeling like, well, we're all being shepherded here. Lord, I pray that you would draw so near to someone that they can't leave without saying, the Lord is my shepherd, giving my life to him. So Lord, as we move into communion, would you commune with us? Meet with us as we desire to meet with you for your glory, we pray these things. Amen. So one of the ways we commune with him is through his idea of communion. Um, bread and wine or juice, obey your conscience. So what I would encourage you to do is just spend a few more moments praying, asking him to commune with us, to change us, to encourage us, to show us how he's designed us to follow him as, as our shepherd. And then we'll have, we'll have two people up with uh, plastic gloves. I don't know who's serving. Oh, Oswalds are serving this morning. Um, happy birthday, Kevin. Thank you for serving us. Um, 
So you'll be extra blessed by going Kevin's side of the line. Just, just kidding. Um, but Kevin and Mary are going to give you bread, and they're going to tell you this is Jesus' body given for you because his body is given for you, not for your neighbor, which it is too, but for you. Like, receive that as a personal worship and thankfulness that this is mine. Jesus is mine. Take bread or the juice. We'll come through the center. If you could, remain standing, and we'll take the elements together as family. And if you would say at this time, I don't know where I'm at with Jesus. I don't know if he is my shepherd. I don't know if he is my savior. I encourage you, instead of coming to the table, come to Jesus. Love to talk with you. Maybe someone who brought you. Maybe there's somebody that you know here or maybe even in the community that you know follows Jesus. Would you talk to them? Uh, give your life to Jesus and then rush to the table next week. Um, but uh, let's come. Let's commune with him. Let's come to the table and then I'll lead us through taking the elements.